You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So this season, the past six weeks, we've been looking at the cross and why the cross is an unconventional freedom. And it's an unconventional freedom because biblical freedom uh, is unconventional from the modern or the everyday person's perspective. You see, the everyday person's perspective is that freedom is uh, the absence of restrictions. Unless there is nothing restricting me, then I'm not truly free. And yet we see in the eagle when they soar on the winds and the currents of air coming up from the cliffs that there's an incredible restriction of their wing shape that allow them to glide so effortlessly. And of course, the fish, little Goldie, is uh, floating around safely in his tank at home uh, because uh, in all of that restriction, he's free in the environment for which he is meant for, for which he's built. And so what we've been seeing is that the cross is a pathway, it's a window into how you can come to a deeper understanding of your corresponding wing shape, your fish tank or the environment that you're built for, and you'll find that it's not just a freedom from things, which is what we've been doing the past couple of weeks. Uh, Freedom from the world and how you uh, get your identity from the world. Uh, The the cross frees you from OPOs, other people's opinions, uh, that that, uh, status and career need not be the basis of all of your sense of significance, meaning and purpose. That the cross frees you from... Guilt, not just the feelings of guilt, but the factual, objective reasons that are causing the feelings of guilt. And last week we learned that the the cross is freedom from yourself, from your own sense of weightlessness, of that constant breaking in of that sense of insignificance, that that constant desire that that, that, that we must be something beyond death for us, otherwise this life is a joke. And We are freed from all of that, and tonight we move into the latter half of this series for the final three weeks to see now that the cross is a freedom for. And what we'll see in the passage tonight, that the cross is a freedom for good, not evil. That the cross frees you for good, not evil. And here's where we're going to go. We're going to look at the principle of overcoming evil the pathways to overcoming evil, and the power to do it. Uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from verses 14 through to 21. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, the issue of evil in the world. Oh, we, man, we could go some places with that now. Wouldn't that be a rabbit hole to go down? 
Uh, that's one of the great objections of Christianity, isn't it? Or if God is so good, how can he allow evil and suffering in the world? And I'm not trying to uh, get out of jail free here tonight. I just want to do some shameless cross-promotion and say that uh, we did address that question for 35 minutes in the Roadblock series when we looked at suffering. And so I encourage you, if you want to get deep into the issue and the problem of evil and how God uh, overcomes that uh, in other ways, then by all means head back to the podcast. But the pr- there is a problem with evil, and that is that, well, what is it really? That people who are non-Christians and people that are Christians... Uh, Whilst there is much debate, many would agree or sense or just feel that there is some kind of force in the world that is dark, that is not good, that is not right. And all the world's religions are agreed upon this. In fact, it's one of the things that all the world's religions are agreed on. And uh, it's the atheists also that are agreed that that there is evil in the world. Where it comes from, how it all happens, well, that's an entire different sermon. But I just want to define it up front to say, just for brevity's sake, that evil is anything that is in opposition to God. And in fact, using that definition to be a bit more logical, evil is anything that is in opposition to that which is good. And aren't all the great dramas about good and evil? I mean, if we didn't have evil, there'd be no Lord of the Rings. There'd be no Star Wars. There'd be no Darth Vader. There'd be none of that sort of stuff. There'd be no contrast in life. But the reason the contrast is there, because the minute that God gave us free will and to choose our own pathways, then that became the moment in which evil could exist. Because evil is anything that is not of God. And that's why Dallas Willard says that that evil, the the radically ruined soul, the radically evil heart is not someone who is, is wicked or an inherently bad person. But the radically evil heart is the heart that is made me God instead of God. And can you imagine a, imagine a world like that? Maybe you live in a world like that with a whole bunch of people. <laughs> that world extrapolated long enough into the distance, guys, is hell. It's, it's, it's a whirlpool of self-centeredness and bitterness and infighting and pain and relational destruction and relational disintegration. That's what evil is in the simplest of ways. And so here, here is where Christianity starts to depart from the West, rest of the world's religions and cultures. It starts to go off the map because it talks of the ways, ways like You hear this great teacher in Jesus Christ say, turn the other cheek, right? And pray for those that persecute you. And part of our problem, I don't know if if you get this when you think about these issues. I think part of our problem is uh, we hear phrases like that and we go, that's nice. That's sweet. You know, we we sort of almost want to do do it up on what are those things called? Memes, Mike? Memes, is it? Thanks, Jess. I, I, I haven't memed yet, but... You know, if I would meme, I would, I would pray for those that persecute you. You know, it's just, it's just nice. I think part of the challenge is we, 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 we totally misunderstand its significance, or more importantly, we've been detached from the power behind those words. We either misunderstand it or we're totally detached from the power behind those words. And this, ironically, when you see Paul saying, bless those that persecute you, who does he sound like? Jesus Christ. 
And so here we come in the first principle. The, remember we said the principle, the pathways, and then the power. The first principle that Paul has in here for us, he says, overcome evil with good. Overcome this disintegration of relationship with good. And there's always a spectrum of people in your life, right? I think there's always a spectrum of people. There are the people that just don't like you. Yeah, anyone got a few of those sorts of people in their life? Yeah. Uh, they're the people that they sort of they don't get too much in your way, but you, you take a wide berth at the workplace. And they tend to do little things that frustrate you and they might badmouth you here. They're just generally annoying. They're a human version of a fly. You would swat them if possible. <laughs> but they're, they're at that end of the spectrum. And then at the central side of the spectrum, it gets a little bit more serious. These are the people that have hurt you. These are the people that have lied to you, that have cheated you in the past or recently. The ones that have caused wounds that are still a little bit raw. And then at the far end of the spectrum, they're, they're the far scarier ones because they're the people that have not only hurt you, and they're so much more than annoying fly and not liking you. The persecutors at this end of the spectrum, they're the ones that are actively scheming and working out ways to still hurt you. And to get in, in your way and to take you down and to lie and cheat you. I pray that not many of us have persecutors in our life. And yet the, the Bible's full of language of the ways that happens at that extreme end of this disintegration of relationship. Now here's a question. What's our response supposed to be to either ends of this spectrum? How do you respond to this? What's our response supposed to be? Well, it's my job, and you'll be glad to know that I've done some research. And as a first step, there's some wonderful resources and uh, various TV shows and movies out there for you to help you with this process. So the, f the first documentary is a show called Revenge on Channel 7. Now, I haven't seen the show, but apparently Revenge demonstrates how uh, an entire lifetime of deliberate and intricate planning of the ways in which you can ruin the lives of people that have hurt you. It actually demonstrates a way that that can lead you into a life of love and joy and fulfillment. <laughs> or, of course, the feel-good movie of the year, The Other Woman, that's just out at the movies with Cameron Diaz. Basic plot is that if someone lies or cheats on you, then teaming up with the person that the other person cheated with you on, they can actually become your... Best friend, I think they're called frenemies. And so the girls get to, they become frenemies. They're, they're enemies, but they're friends. And a li it leads to a lifetime of mutual gratification of tearing down the one that's cheated you. And uh, of course, back in 2004, who could forget the very dictionary on how we respond? The great movie, the masterpiece that's up there with the passion of Christ. I'm talking about Lindsay Lohan's Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Katie in Lohan, Rachel McAdams, brilliant, you know, a, a lifetime of seeking to infiltrate into a high school clique. You know, girls, if you want some tips afterwards for high school, I've got it all for you. Infiltrate into a clique so you could ruin the lives of other per people because you've heard that, that someone's got a burn book. You know, a scrapbook of all very terrible and vicious things about teachers and everyone else in the school. It, it's just a beautiful movie. How do we respond? 
the default of the human heart is that when someone wrongs you outside of the gospel, you retaliate. That's how we respond. That's the way that the human heart, apart from God, works, but not this principle. And this is the point where Christianity um, exits the highway from every other culture and society and belief system. Here's, here's the principle, verses 17 and 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil and be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the principle. It's right there. The word overcome, it's a military word. It means to uh, seek out, to identify, to study, to strategize against your enemy in order to defeat them. And so here's what it's saying. It's a very active, it's a very aggressive word. What it's saying is it's saying if someone wrongs you, if someone, if, it's saying if someone hurts you and you hurt them back, if someone stings you and you sting them back, if someone wrongs you and you wrong them back, if someone insults you and you insult them back, if you do these things, then what it's saying is you, you have been overcome. You have been defeated by evil. If you repay evil with that evil, if you descend to that level for long enough, what happens? You've become evil yourself. You've descended into it. They've won. You're not overcoming. You've been overcome by that enemy. And Paul knows that. Paul says if, if, if you want to truly get this, if you truly want to be an overcomer, if you truly want to exit the highway of everyone else in this world, if you truly want to defeat evil, you must not respond in kind. And so now people are saying, okay, well then what do I do? Someone's hurt me. What do I just do? Nothing? Now, isn't that what Christians do? We turn the other cheek. No, it's not do nothing. Remember, it's a military word. It's an aggressive word. It's an active word. You, you, it's a strategic word. In other words, overcoming evil is not a passive thing. It's, it's far more nuanced than you, than you realize. Because what Paul is saying is, he's saying, when you come up against the face of evil and someone wrongs you, um, you're not being creative enough. You're not being disciplined enough. You're not being strategic enough. To begin to overcome this. You're not identifying who the real enemy is. The real enemy is not the person. The real enemy is the evil behind the person. And so you need to be creative, disciplined, self-controlled. How do we do that? Glad you asked. That's the principle. You've got to overcome the evil, not be overcome by the evil, right? So we're all on the same page. Here's how we get there. Here's the pathways that Paul lays out for us. The first path, three of them, there could be a number of them, but three of them tonight are blessing words, a forgiving heart, and heaping coals. That makes no sense, but it will soon. Um, blessing words, forgiving heart, heaping coals. First one, blessing words, verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So now that's very similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? Now, real, this is a real simple point because Dallas Willard again said, Here's why this is so powerful. It is very difficult for you to hate someone when you're willing they're good. And what is praying? What is blessing? It's willing the good of a person. And so you go try it. In fact, maybe even try it right now. 
in the middle of the sermon. You, you, you come into mind the person that has wronged you and you could begin to descend into that whirlpool of retaliation and you're thinking of the ways that you can lift them up to God and that God could bless them. And you try and, try and hate them at the same time. I dare Very difficult to will to hate someone where you're willing they're good. And so here's the wonderful thing about it. Even if your prayer is like this, oh, dear Lord, please deal with that idiot. (laughs) Paul says, now now we're getting somewhere. In fact, we're, we're somewhere very significant because you are now diverging off the highway and you're moving into an area that if that is traced on long enough, evil will be overcome. In other words, the minute you're saying, please pray for that idiot, you are not becoming overcome by evil. Instead, you're becoming an overcomer. Uh, The second one, uh, verses 17 and 19, a forgiving heart. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then in verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay. So we see here that the Christian should always be the first to forgive. Shameful self-promotion. I'm going to be preaching on this next Sunday morning. We've talked about forgiveness. We won't go into, into great detail, but here's, here's what it means. I mean, Paul, Paul's saying, don't take revenge on the inside of your life and don't take revenge on the outside of your life. Don't take revenge on the inside of your life. Don't take revenge on the outside of your life. You know, you often hear people say, you might have heard them say, oh, look, I've, I've forgiven them, but I won't forget. Now, that's true to some extent. We don't, we don't forget. But, but often, most often, as a pastor, here's what it means. What they're really saying is, I won't do anything to them on the outside because I've taken my vengeance and my wrath on the, onto the inside. What are you doing? It's like a version of psychological voodoo. You know, what you've done is you've just dreamed up a little doll of this person and you're sticking them in the eye with a needle in your heart. Come on, we we all do this, right? I hope we all do this, otherwise I look like a (laughs) vice. But you you stick them and you replay the DVD over and over and over and you will and you think of all sorts of accidents and the way that life could stuff up and they could be hurt and you continue to dwell on all of that. And you're sticking needles in them, hoping that it's just going to hurt them. And here's the question. Is it really hurting them? All you're doing is ring-barking your own soul. You're poisoning your own soul from the inside out. You think you're hurting them. Paul says, don't take your revenge onto the outside. But even worse, don't take it into the inside. And so what do you do? Here's the thing. Forgiveness is always given before it's felt. We've talked that through. And so lots of people say, oh, look... You know, I, I'm still angry at them, so I, I can't forgive them. And I guess the question we've got to ask that is, is could it be that you, you're still angry at them because you haven't forgiven them? Forgiveness is granted before it's felt. And so Paul, what that really means in what he's saying is, what does it mean? It means you hold back. You hold back from sticking pins in them. You hold back from playing the DVD reruns. You hold back from trying to retaliate on the outside, you hold back from retaliating on the inside. (laughs) A forgiving heart. Now, this is progressive. Are we seeing the progression? Uh, We pray that's a simple step. Forgiving a heart, that's a heck of a lot harder, right, Christian? (laughs) And then the last one is, this is even trickier, uh, is you heap coals on their head 
Now, it's not trickier because it's difficult to find a barbecue's galore in the lower North Shore. It's because, verse 20, look, if your enemy is hungry, then feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, do you know what this means? It, it might be obvious, but, but here's what it means. To heap burning coals means to wake someone up. I mean, if they're sleeping and you put coals on their head, burning coals, they're going to wake up pretty quick, right? <laughs> Hair's on fire. Um, and so what it means is how do you destroy evil? How do you defeat it? You, you get it to lose its influence over the evildoer. You've strategized. You've realized that the sin beneath the sin here has got nothing to do with the, the actions, that there's something far deeper in this person's life that might not even be about me. And maybe, just maybe, God is using me to be the person that instead of being passive, I will humbly go in and firmly stand in opposition to the evil in the hope that even if they retreat and tell me to get staffed and whatever, in the hope that my kindness and my goodness and my reaching out to them might help bring about a revelation of the very thing that's gripping them. And you see the progression? The first one is you need to get your safety goggles on. You need to make sure that you, you've got a rope tied to you, that that, that that evil that you're about to step into, you're, you're not going to get sucked into that whirlpool yourself. You need to do everything through prayer and a forgiving heart to get that close to the whirlpool. And then it's at that point that you extend the hand and pull them out of it. You with me? So option one, you know, if I, if, if I, option one, if I respond to the evildoer with evil, I'm completely defeated right off. Option two is if I respond to the evildoer with a positive regard and forgiveness, then at least I've tied a rope around myself and I'm not going in. Option number three is if I've got the right attitude and I've got the rope, I can go in in the hope that I'm going to pull them out. And that's the point where miraculously God begins to work at overcoming evil in the work in the world. And that's the goal. And, and it's, it's completely realistic, by the way. It's part of God's plan. We'll see that. But to overcome evil with good is to recognize or to understand that, ev- that evil is more the enemy than the evildoer. And that you must do all you can <laughs> in positive and affirming and humbling ways to rescue them from that. That's what it means. So, finally then, how, how does a wooden cross solve all of that? And how does it solve it for the modern person today? Verse 19, glad you asked. Verse 19. It says here, do not take revenge, my friends. Fascinating verse here. But leave room for God's wrath. <laughs> For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what God is saying there? God's saying, get out of my chair. You know, when I, when I was a little, little kid, I always loved going to dad's office. I go with my sisters to dad's office and I would always love to go and sit in dad's chair. And the deal was with my little sisters that they had to be my secretaries. <laughs> I know. I lived in a different world back then in the 80s. We weren't as modern and as egalitarian as we all were. That's just, that's just is what it was. And I would sit in the chair and I would bark orders at them and I would tell my sister she needed to be Mrs. Fuller and that she should pick up the phone within two rings. And I would bestow all sorts of judgments upon them and that was my role. <laughs> now, what God is saying, God's saying, get out of my office chair. God's saying, I'm the only one 
who has the right to sit in the judgment seat. It means when, it, when it's saying leave room for God's wrath, what it means is God's saying, you don't know that person's situation. You don't know what they've been through. <laughs> and you are imagining things that should be happening to that person and you've got, you, you've got no idea. You don't know. It, it always works this way, doesn't it? That whenever someone lies to you, they're a liar. Is anyone ever cheats you? They're a cheater. That, that's, that's their whole identity, right? They're, they're like a two-dimensional cartoon. They're like those funny uh, caricatures that you get down at the rocks where someone does the profile and they make the nose really big and they warp everyone out of proportion. That's what you do when you imagine that from the judgment seat of God. You, you say, they always lie. Can't trust them. They, they're, always, they're a liar. And then it comes back around on you and you tell a lie and you say, but... Oh no, I'm not a I'm not a liar. I'm complicated. Come, I'm, I'm three dimensional. Yeah, I've got stuff going on in my life. There's there's background. You've got to under, there's back there's reasons. You know, I, so, yeah, someone stole my Care Bear when I was young. I, and I've I've never gotten over it when I was since. But there's nuance. Come, on, I'm not a liar. It's it's an over, I'm working on it. But they're a liar. <laughs> you see what happens? You 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 make them two to you make them two dimensional, and God says. You, you don't know, so get out of my chair. You're not, you're not a worthy judge. In fact, he says you're a hopeless judge, not because you're a bad person. It's just you lack the brain power and the universal capacity to know where everyone is coming from. How dare you sit in the seat and make judgments upon the other person, says God. And so let me close with a pertinent case study of how good overcame evil this week of how someone got out of the chair, how we saw the balance of love and justice, the very things that we've been talking about the cross in action. And I don't even know if the guy's a Christian. And so if he's not, man, do you and I have a benchmark to live up to, brothers and sisters? Because his name's uh, Peter Fraser. And his daughter was killed by a guy that was driving a tow truck down or a truck down the highway and, and Sarah, I think her name was, had pulled over to the side and the tow truck driver was trying to help her out. And this guy wasn't paying attention for about eight seconds. And at the last minute, he saw them and he flinched and he drove his truck into the side of the two on the side of the road and he killed them instantly. And the whole case has been through the courts for weeks. And the article in the Sydney Morning Herald on April 24th says this, it said, A father whose daughter died in a roadside crash has tearfully hugged the man who was driving the truck that killed her. Moments after he learned that the man who killed his daughter would go to jail, Peter Fraser went over to Kane Daniel Barnett and gave him a hug. The two men united in grief at the devastation caused by less than 10 seconds of inattention wept as they embraced their tearful families surrounding them inside the courtroom at Parramatta District Court. And here's the principle. Listen, listen to what Peter says. Cain could have been my son. And any of this could have happened to any of our families, Mr. Fraser said. People die. Families are shattered. And we don't want Cain to be there in prison for the next 18 months to three years. But the reality is, for a whole lot of reasons... He will now serve that, but it has to act as a signal to the rest of the community that you've got to change your habits. 
Can you see the wonderful nuanced balance on this side of heaven of love and of justice? He, he, you, know what he, you know what Peter Fraser did? He left room for the judge's wrath. And as a result, he hopefully is stopping himself from descending into a whirlpool of bitterness and retaliation and self-destruction. He's holding back. He's holding back on the outside, but more importantly, he's holding back on the inside. Why? Because he didn't character to you, the guy. Because the guy's not two-dimensional. He could have been his son. But can you see both the possibility and the power of overcoming good with evil? Here's, here's how. Here's what it means in, in gospel terms, in biblical terms. This is how it relates to a crazy cross in Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago. Anyone who is a Christian recognizes that at some point, whether it be for 10 seconds or for 10 years, Anyone who's a Christian recognized, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they simply took their eyes off the road. That anyone who's a Christian recognized whether they intended to or not, that to be a sinner is not to say that you are worthless or you are irredeemably evil, that to be a sinner is to say spiritually that we are all Cain Barnett. That whether we intended it or not, we broke not just the law, but the ultimate law. And we go before the Father and we plead and we say, Judge, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. If I had have known, if I knew that you were God, if I knew that you existed, I stuffed up, I, I didn't mean to. Can I just have a second chance? And the judge says, reality is, it's happened. And I'm a good judge. And I'm a just judge. And see, Peter Fraser got this. That all good judges must send a message to society. And the ultimate judge must send a message to humanity to warn them of the consequences of their behavior. Can you imagine this week as Cain was being led to his cell? Can you imagine what it would look like if as he's going off into the cells and uh, the police are chaperoning him there, that suddenly in the background you see the judge begin to take off his wig. And you see the judge beginning to strip himself of the robe and all signs of authority. And you see the judge wipe away the gavel and you see the gut judge tip over his name tag that shows who he really is. And you watch him slowly come down the stairs from that mighty seat. And then suddenly there are words between him and the officers. And you see the look on Cain's face. It's a look of disbelief. It's a look of shock. And you just sort of, the families don't understand what's going on because the police are starting to take the cuffs off Cain and they're starting to place it onto the judge. And at the last minute, the judge is escorted to live out the sentence whilst Cain walks down the steps a free man. Friends, is, is that not the gospel? Is that not the gospel of the Christ? Isn't that exactly what happened at the cross? Here's what happened at the cross. We belong in the dock. And guys, whether it's big or small, you and I way too often sit in the judgment seat. But the Lord, the Lord of the universe who was on the ultimate judgment seat came down and he put himself in the dock and he went to the cross. Can you see both the cost and the nuance and the complexity of both love and justice at the cross? That if God was all justice and no love, we'd be toast. And, and if it was all love and no just, justice, then he'd be one sucky judge. 
but he's a, he's, he's a God of, of justice and love. He's a judge that says, I will and I must hand out the sentence, but at the same time, I will live out and I will pay the sentence. And that's why at the cross, as the great Don Carson, the theologian, said it's the cross where we see the justice of God and the love of God kiss. Why? So you can walk out the steps tonight. So you can walk out free, free for good things, not evil things. Jesus dying on the cross so we can be forgiven shows that at the same moment he hates evil. He will deal with evil. He will wrap evil up. He will scrunch it up like a bit of paper and at the same time individually in it, he will overcome that evil in us. He will break it. He will smash it. Here's the thing. Who's hurt you? Who is hurting you? What, what if, what, what if just, just because the gospel has gone forth tonight, what if because of what we've seen done on the cross, what if because of that unconventional freedom, just one workplace has one less cutting person this week? What if, because the gospel has gone forth, there is one less mean girl when school resumes this week? What if, because the gospel has gone forth and because of the cross, families have one less antagonistic brother or sister this week? What if, because the gospel has gone forth in a friendship, in just one friendship, there is a drop of forgiveness this week? What if... You know what if? You know what what if means? It means here's what what if means. It means that you and I, friends, just if that one one thing happens, you and I will be part of a community that is presently living out God's future plan for the world. That He is and He will overcome evil with good. That Sydney will be overcome by good and not evil. You've been set free by the cross to overcome evil with good. Jesus did it. His hope would be that you would see his model in it, and he has done it in you. And then in the great words of our incredible master, that this week you would go and do likewise. Let's pray.